This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. We know the Justice Department and Congress are looking into the people that were involved in the January 6th riot, but we learned today there was something else that went wrong before the riot. The domestic intelligence architecture that was set up really after 9-11 was no longer functioning the way it should have. There are a multitude of reasons for that. Brian Murphy, former acting Undersecretary of Homeland Security for Intelligence Analysis, said some of it had to do with people in positions of leadership. The liberal uh, leaders that were in place throughout government that President Donald Trump had put in there. So what have we learned from all of that? Uh, The law enforcement agencies involved are much more ready today than they were a year ago. I think, uh, you know, their eyes now on the ball uh, on January the 6th of 2022, unlike it probably was January 6th, 2021. A.T. Smith, former deputy director of the Secret Service, joins us with some unique perspective. Coming up on this episode of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. On the last episode of Target USA, we spoke with Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas about security in the U.S. a year after the January 6th riot. Uh, Though we do not have any specific credible threats with respect to Uh, January 6th of 2022, the threat environment uh, remains of tremendous concern. Domestic violent extremists continue to pose one of the greatest threats, uh, terrorist-related threats, uh, in our homeland. On this episode, we'll talk with former Secret Service Deputy Director A.T. Smith, and we'll also talk with Brian Murphy, former Acting Undersecretary of Intelligence Analysis at DHS, And we start first with Murphy. January 6th happened, and for many of us, it was a surprise, that riot at the Capitol. But looking back at many of the things that took place, even some of the details that I had from sources that were talking about social media posts, there were rallies in Washington, there were law enforcement observations that signaled that something trouble was coming. But the failure to connect the dots seemed to create a vacuum that blew up into something that no one expected. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, I I think I would take a step back um, to explain why January 6th occurred. You know, by the time we got to January 6th, a number of things had already broken down. The first is a structural breakdown. And the domestic intelligence architecture that was set up really after 9-11 was no longer functioning the way it should have. There are a multitude of reasons for that. 
which I can get back into, but the organizations, which I would call dependent organizations, uh, and they're, they're dependent on the FBI, which I was a part of, and then DHS intelligence, which I also was a part of, are organizations like the Capitol Police or the National Guard and others for intelligence. You know, the Capitol Police, uh, I think prior to uh, January 6th, had exactly one office in the United States outside the Capitol. Now they've expanded that to just a handful. So the idea that they would uh, be able to receive the type of information they need and collate it understanding in a way that would give them that forewarning, I think that would have been very challenging and obviously it was. So if you look at the architecture that broke down and, and some of the reasons for it is, you know, we spent billions of dollars literally after 9-11 building a, a state, local and federal um, information sharing apparatus. Um, and it didn't function, like I said. And, and the reason for that is, um, the liberal uh, leaders that were in place throughout government that President Donald Trump had put in there. Um, they, I know they populated the Department of Homeland Security, and I've heard from others that they were in the FBI and some other places as well. And so looking for things that would have been a normal task, particularly for DHS, nobody was looking for them. And the apparent things on social media that you alluded to, um, there was literally nobody, very few people, I should say, looking at the state, local, and federal level. And those that were, weren't able to put it together because they didn't have the resources or really the mission to be across, looking across a nation at a, a range of threats. So you, you mentioned as well that, um, you know, these, there, there was a breakdown at the federal level, uh, you know, that would have possibly seen some of this and helped state, local, tribal, territorial folks um, do something about this, but that didn't happen. That didn't take place. And what we're looking at now with the January 6th committee, it's investigating how the riot came about and who enabled it. And they're looking into documents and interviewing prominent people, most of them in the political world. But there was a completely different ecosystem working downstream from those in President Donald Trump's orbit that seemed to be fertilizing the seeds of all this discontentment that started with the Stop the Steal movement. You know, there were there were, there are no, numerous chat rooms. There were numerous, um, you know, social media-based groups that were pushing, you know, these rallies and pushing, you know, let's get together, let's do this. And I'm just wondering what your thoughts are now that you get to look back at all of this that was going on, how all of that might have connected to the top-tier activities that had been going on, um, you know, that were by design by the Trump organization designed to uh, get what it was that he wanted. So I think without question, the the hand of a uh, number of foreign actors were at play there. Um, you know, the intelligence community put out in the springtime of this year, confirming what you know, myself and others knew back at that period of time that the, the Russians, for example, and other uh, foreign, na foreign nations were stoking resentment and polarization and were calling for Americans to uh, protest the vote and assemble. Uh, and they had willing partners in terms of some of the organizations uh, that you mentioned and that I mentioned, which is the Trump Organization and other uh, far-right groups. So whether the, the Russians, let's say, for example, or another foreign actor were the cause, or there was already in the hearts and minds of uh, some of these far-right groups that were supporting Trump, you know, it's hard to know. 
Um, I think it's, it's, it's almost impossible to know, but what you can definitely say is the Russians, for example, and other foreign actors weren't irrelevant because they went from uh, a one-dimensional attack, meaning that they're uh, making these ideas known on social media to uh, really making it come to life where people rally, they meet at a certain uh, place and time as they did for January 6th um, and brought out more um, acolytes to participate in the insurrection. Uh, so they move from that one-dimensional social media into making real events happen. There were a couple of notable pieces of information that I got well before January 6th that suggested there was a major movement underway to bring people to Washington, not per se on January 6th, but just in general. And one of them was a particular uh, piece of information that I, I, I got, uh, I think it was from a chat room, where an individual was talking about meeting up at Turtle Park in in Washington, and, and that's not a very well-known park. Um, you probably need to be in the area or need to be in maybe even that part of Washington to even know what Turtle Park is. And I'm just wondering what your thoughts are about that kind of uh, planning, that kind of suggestion, what that tells you, you know, that whole business, that particular piece of information suggested getting together at Tenley Park and, you know, um, needing more and more, more people to make sure that it worked. And what are your thoughts about that kind of activity? So I, I have two thoughts because I, I don't know exactly, you know, what the, what the purpose was behind um, some of those posts that I think um, have been exposed to the public at this point. But I think there's there's really two possibilities, and they may be related. Even number one is I think that it sounds like the hallmarks of foreign information operations, where um, they pick things randomly off the internet that sound from let's say sitting somewhere in Russia as a park that people may know, but in reality, as you described, it's not a very well known location, and it's not very conveniently located to where uh, the uh, rioters ended up assembling. So uh, it, it really, it's just random. Um, so it does suggest that that's a um, technique that was used in the past uh, where people are really looking what they can at Google because they're not you know, a, a member of the United States or a citizen, they're definitely not in the United States. The second part of it is um, if it's not the Russians, which again, I don't know for sure, or another foreign actor, um, you know, I would say that it suggests planning because they knew that that would be a park that was likely unattended uh, if the security services, Capitol Police, DC, Metro, others were on the lookout. It's not a, a, a rallying point where you have a lot of uh, protests assembled from. Mm-hmm. And as you say, very unlikely that there would be a police presence there. This is all a part of this this narrative that we're starting to understand and realize that it was a very complex um, confluence of events and activities that took place that led up to, to January 6th. When you look back at it from a general perspective, what are your thoughts about what took place that day? I, I think it was just a, the obvious was missed. And, um, you know, I've touched on some of the reasons for it, but it was sophisticated. But at the same time, you know, as, as we now know, I mean, these people are planning in the open, and so the real kind of tragedy here in my mind is the breakdown in that uh, domestic architecture 
which should have easily caught what was uh, brewing on social media. And there should have been a lot of forewarning and planning and preparations. Um, so the Capitol Police, DC Police and others uh, could have been properly uh, prepared and they weren't. Uh, so, you know, we're always gonna continue to have various threat actors, but we spent a lot of time and effort and money. I know myself and others particularly involved in that, uh, a long-term preparation effort so that we didn't have another 9-11 or in this case, unfortunately, a January 6th occurred. And it really teaches you that um, the leaders that are involved at the highest levels, they set the tone about what people will look at. Um, and when those calculations are made by people that have illiberal politics in their mind or they are not qualified as in what happened in DHS, um, you know, particularly in their intelligence shop at the time, they had unqualified people in charge. Um, these things are going to happen, and all those lessons learned are going to go down by the wayside. America had a heart attack on January 6th. Typically when that happens, when a person has a heart attack, you make changes. You know, lifestyle, diet changes. I'm not sure that that's happened in the U.S. I'm interested in what your thoughts are about what lessons were learned and if we're actually making use of those lessons? Well, you know, I, I think that the lessons learned have not been fully identified yet. Um, and that's unfortunate. And, you know, we'll, we'll see what the House committee comes up with. But that doesn't stop, obviously, the executive branch from making the determinations they need to make right now. Hold on one second. I'm going to put you on mute. Okay, sorry about that. Can I uh, start over? Yeah, you can just pick it up with from the executive branch if you want. So the, the executive branch, the decisions they need to make, um, I don't see them yet. I'm no longer in government, but I certainly didn't see them immediately after January 6th or the months that followed. We have the technical capabilities now to look across platforms at social media and find uh, emerging narratives that are harmful. And when I'm talking harmful, we're talking about violent related activity. Um, and the federal government is using yesterday's tools for today's um, fight, if you would, and they're not prepared. The free marketplace of ideas, which the First Amendment is designed to protect, is no longer free. It is populated by um, uh, foreign actors that don't have claim to the First Amendment that manipulate the information in front of us. So we have, again, that technology to go after, whether it's foreign actors or that violent threat information online. And I don't see that the, the government, the executive branch, have pivoted in a way to catch up with modern times. Um, the civil liberties that are where uh, the executive branch should be protecting, they, I don't think they're protecting. Um, these, the technology that exists today needs to be governed smartly, needs to be used smartly, and we need to start the process by which we can have good civil liberties in place so that we have a free marketplace of ideas because nobody wants big brother spying on them. But at the same time, when people are calling for violence or foreign nations involved in our free speech, that's the executive branch's ethical responsibility to do something about it. And, and I haven't seen it uh, so far. All right. Is there anything else you want to add here that I haven't asked you about? Or is there some other element or part of this conversation we should discuss to fully explore all that we need to in order to take a look back at January 6th and a look forward. So I, I would think there's there's just one real more thing I'd bring out, which is if we look at, you know, the recent history of elections in the United States, the, the stop the steal 
you know, hashtag or movement is unique, um, but it's but it's not necessarily different. It's unique in this way. The country under Donald Trump was so polarized and, you know, nobody was uh, in place to look at it. But what's not unique is in 2000, um, you know, we had in the Al Gore elections uh, against George W. Bush, about 20 percent of the country did not believe initially that the election of George Bush was legitimate. In 2016, again, you have about 20% that did not think Trump was the legitimate president. But the fundamental difference between 2000 uh, and 2016 and 2020 is Hillary Clinton and Al Gore conceded defeat to their opponents, and the country went back um, to you know the the way it would normally operation in elections. In 2020. President Trump not only didn't concede the election, but he stirred that um, emotional base and called people to action. And we need to be on guard against future elections where if that trend line continues, where we have these illiberal politicians that don't uh, believe in democracy and instead perpetuate lies that the electoral system is um, not functioning properly, we're gonna have additional problems in the future. So I hope the past our more recent past isn't necessarily guide, but from 2000, 2016, we, we start understanding these election uh, histories so that people see, yeah, we've, we've, we can have doubt in our election process, but as, as leaders, they need to concede if they, when they lose. Brian Murphy, former acting undersecretary for intelligence analysis at DHS, he obviously stepped us through the perspective of someone who was looking at what took place on January 6th from an intelligence analysis point of view. Now we turn to the law enforcement point of view and talk with A.T. Smith, former deputy director of the Secret Service. What has hindsight told you that you didn't know before? Well, I think uh, it's pretty clear that, um, you know, several entities were not prepared on January the 6th. I think there was some uh, missed intel information that was out there probably not, uh, you know, as much as they needed to react properly. But uh, we have since learned, as we said, that uh, not only the FBI, but the Capitol Police, you know, missed some of the chatter that was out there and some of the intel that was, you know, directed uh, at this event that occurred on January the 6th. So I think first and foremost, uh, the law enforcement agencies involved are much more ready today than they were a year ago. I think, uh, you know, their eyes now on the ball uh, on January the 6th of 2022, unlike it probably was January 6th, 2021. One of the sources that I've been talking to has told me that there was basically a catastrophic breakdown in the architecture of the domestic intelligence structure that was set up after 9-11. Um, saying essentially it was it was no longer functioning the way it should be. I mean, there are organizations like Capitol Police, like National Guard that were dependent on the FBI and DHS for intelligence, and they just didn't get it. And they were just out there kind of on their own, you know, working with what they could just, the scraps that they could gather. In the meantime, um, there were people out there that were planning things. You know, and I'm just wondering, what did you learn, um, again, in hindsight, uh, about those groups and people that were out there planning things and just the capabilities of these groups? 
Well, they certainly were more capable than we, you know, expected. Like you just said, I think there was probably some chatter out there or scraps that people were not paying attention to. It's unfortunate that the intelligence community failed on that front. I mean, I was there on 9-11 and after 9-11, you know, it was, it was incumbent upon all of the agencies to share information and focus on intelligence. Sadly, things wane over time and that is certainly uh, something that they need to look at going forward to make sure that people do stay connected, that things um, do get reported as they should to. And, and in essence, as you said, there was really no excuse not to be on top of this, uh, particularly after the lessons we learned on 9-11. Uh, in terms of the groups themselves, they were obviously pretty well organized. I think now they know uh, that you know law enforcement is focused on them and that probably has driven them to ground on some left, on some levels, whether it's you know using uh, encrypted messaging or or what have you. Having said that, um, the fact that law enforcement is more intent, more focused, and more prepared, I don't think you would see the kind of uh, event that we saw a year ago. I think they're better prepared, and uh, obviously there's new leadership uh, in a lot of the areas, Capitol Police being one. So I don't think they'll take anything for granted. Uh, this time, I think uh, they are prepared. They'll be better prepared. Uh, we just hope that the intelligence that uh, should be going on out there in terms of infiltration into some of these groups or monitoring of some of the groups, whether they're loose net or uh, really connected, we hope that that is going on from the law enforcement and the intelligence standpoint. You... You were deputy director of the Secret Service for a while, so you're pretty familiar, at least from the 30,000 foot level of uh, with with the layout of the District of Columbia. Uh, there is a place called Turtle Park, and it's not too far from Fort Reno, which is in upper northwest near the Tenley Town metro system. Um, there was a scrap of information, a piece of information that I got from a source where basically on a chat room site, a group of people were talking about meeting up at Turtle Park, which is a really nondescript, pretty unknown park, unless you live there. You know, you know, you know, it's a neighborhood park. Right. And they were talking about meeting up there. And one source that I spoke to said that this was a classic example of how foreign entities get into something and, and, and amplify it to the point where people, you know, unsuspecting people just start latching on to things and start moving on it. Because one of the people, in fact, the person that was making the suggestion about using this park was saying, you know, um, basically suggesting this is not a place that would be on police radar. But everybody that knows anything about Washington knows that Fort Reno is the highest point in Washington. And there are also some other national security considerations that come along with that area. So what does that tell you about all of this? Tells me that they were well-planned and they had mapped out, uh, someone had the leadership, obviously, that, uh, you know, they had done a good job in sort of figuring a few things out. Where was, you know, where, uh, where is a good place to, to congregate, that being the one you just mentioned, the Turtle Park. And then, you know, secondly, they had done their homework about, Honestly, how engaged law enforcement probably is in that area. I mean, like you said, it's something that most people are not aware of. 
Uh, it's probably not uh, something then that was as much, uh, you know, on the on the radar for police as far as extra patrols and having a having a keen eye on that. So I would I would say that shows you the level of uh, intelligence that these folks had gleaned to some degree, even though you know it didn't look well organized that day at the Capitol. It looked more like you know chaos and a mob, but somewhere in there, in the mix of this stuff there is some some brains and some leadership and some organization what do you think about the 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 ability of foreign actors because you know we've heard from a number of um uh, folks involved in the investigation that you know you had uh, russian activity you had chinese activity you had iranian activity you had a number of different foreign actors meddling in this process trying to get people uh, angry, trying to get people basically to think the way they wanted them to think. What are your thoughts about how vulnerable people are? Uh, or better still, characterize the, 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 poss- the, the opportunity for foreign actors to get involved in this process. I think there's every opportunity. I mean, it's gone on, you know, for years. Uh, foreign intelligence agencies are always trying to infiltrate government entities or the private sector for for whatever reason, whatever gain they may think they need or, or is valuable to their country. So there's certainly the opportunity for that. The internet, uh, social media has just given an explosion to this opportunity to these kinds of foreign actors and you know, uh, intel representatives of foreign countries to do that sort of thing. And I don't think there's any doubt at all that uh, meddling in our elections or uh, trying to disrupt sort of civil discourse uh, is a goal that uh, a lot of these intelligence uh, agencies have. Again, I'm sort of the outside looking in now, but I think you're clearly on mark when you talk about that. And I think that there is a lot of uh, subversive activity and folks involved uh, in this sort of thing that would just like to see uh, the chaos and the kind of activity that we saw a year ago you know, to continue to prevail in this country. And it's sad. That's a part of what I wanted to ask you about next. Looking forward, um, you know, this is now the first anniversary of what took place on January 6th. And there are concerns about preventing this from happening again. So one of the things that I've also heard from sources and folks that I've interviewed is that Basically, not a whole lot has changed in terms of the level of anger and in terms of the level of meddling um, in in terms of even the high level political denial of what took place in terms of the election, which was a legitimate election. Uh, And some of these folks are saying America still hasn't learned its lesson. What are your thoughts? I don't disagree with that. When you look at, uh, you know, the impact that a group like QAnon, for instance, had, uh, I think in some ways it has lessened. I think, as we spoke about about a year ago, a lot of people that were engaged in that or were a part of that were probably um, ashamed and got a wake-up call afterwards. But I think it's still there. And to your point, it's unfortunate that sometimes politicians use it to um, you know, pursue elective office. Um, and, and again, I maintain what we had talked about a year ago, anyone that saw the activity that day and can somehow equate that as a peaceful protest um, needs to get a reality check or they have an ulterior motive. I don't know which it is. 
What then were the lessons learned and how can they be employed? I think uh, readiness is probably the key, as we said at the outset. I think uh, both the intelligence agencies as well as law enforcement that are there to protect the capital and the nation's capital uh, are much more ready than they were a year ago. As we said, it's unfortunate that uh, everyone's eye wasn't on the ball as it should have been and uh, as we all profess it to be after 9-11, but I think readiness is the key and I think now they are ready. I don't think anyone wants to repeat uh, or have repeated what we saw happen a year ago. You know, all of the, from the standpoint that I come from, it's it's how it affected law enforcement and just the personal effect uh, in terms of the four officers who died and lost their lives, the 140 plus that, you know, were injured in this uh, event, I think is sad and unfortunate. I certainly, I don't want to see that happen. I'm sure law enforcement does not either, but I think it's important not to forget, you know, those folks and the fact that they're out there putting their lives on the line. And sometimes in the conversation or the rhetoric that we just talked about, you know, that gets forgotten or quite frankly, sadly, not even mentioned, you know, they're sacrificed. A.T., one of the real problems, and I'll end with this right now in our country, is people just don't listen. Um, there are a lot of people that are trapped in what are called these information bubbles where these folks clearly don't have enough understanding of what's at play um, when they ingest information, um, and meaning they don't realize that there are people that are purposely misleading them uh, and they get into these quote unquote echo chambers, information bubbles, and you know everything that they have heard that got them there in the first place is just perpetuated. They're cut off from other sources of information that can actually help them to see the truth. What do you think is the way, or is there a way to get people in this country to exit these bubbles and listen. That is, a, that is going to be a hard thing to do because as you said, many people just want to take one fine-tuned talking point that they hear on a particular outlet that they uh, you know, subscribe to. And then, as you said, it becomes an echo chamber and they just use that over and over again. They don't want to hear reason. They don't want to hear uh, fact or they don't want to look at reality. As I said, anyone who looks at the video of January 6th at the Capitol should realize that was not peaceful. That was not a peaceful protest. Uh, from a personal standpoint, my friends, I encourage them to not be sole source to one media outlet. Look at everything and then try to make your own decision. And I think most folks who are good Americans can do that. I'm not saying to adhere to one channel or the other, you know, watch, watch them all, watch Fox, watch CNN, watch CBS and NBC. I mean, get a variety. And it's amazing to me that folks um, sort of lower themselves to do what you just said, and that is become a part of an echo chamber and, and not be in a position, honestly, to think through things and make their own decisions. They're actually just carrying out the decisions made by someone else. And that's, that's really unfortunate. So I would encourage people to you know, have an open mind and look at a little of everything and then make your own decision. I think most Americans would arrive at the right one. That's A.T. Smith, former deputy director of the Secret Service. There are lots more questions to answer regarding what happened on January 6th and what will happen in the future. 
we will stay on top of it. In the meantime, coming up on our next episode. 2021 was a challenging year for the State Department. We had uh, enduring challenges like a climate crisis that was that was uh, racing ahead. Uh, but we also had uh, a moment where many around the world were questioning American leadership. Also, frankly, the stability of, of uh, America here at home, given what we had been through in the previous months and years. Counselor Derek Chalet joins us to put it into context and to take a look at the road ahead. It's the rise of China and, and uh, their efforts to throw their weight around the, the Indo-Pacific, but more broadly in the world, the, the challenge from Russia-Ukraine, which you've discussed, the challenge of Iran's nuclear program, um, uh, the challenge of our changing climate and, and the existential threat that that poses, uh, the challenge of COVID. Chalet talks about all of that and much more on our next episode of Target USA. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments about the program, send me an email. You can reach me at jgreen at wtop.com. The letter J, the color green, one word, at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa. jgreen at wtop.com. Also, please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Twitter. We're at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. And if you want more national security news, you can sign up for my newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff, and you can sign up at WTOP.com slash email. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Hey guys, Jay Cutler. Starting a new podcast called Uncut with Jay Cutler. Most of you know me from the NFL, some of you have seen me on Instagram, and some of you know me from the reality TV world. Each week I'm taking you along with me as we discuss football, trending topics, and whatever's going on in my life each week. I'm bringing along people that are special in my life, former teammates, friends, and some new people that I like and respect. That's what you're supposed to do, right? Podcasting? I think I'm doing this right. Can't wait to get started with you. Go subscribe now. Uncut with Jay Cutler, Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, and Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.